0: Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church sermon podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of Fresh Fruit. We're so glad you're here.
1: I'm Rafi Vilas.
2: I'm Ann Villas.
1: What I love about Rolling Hills is the community here.
2: I think one of the misconceptions <clears throat> about joy is that you can't have joy through adversity and that it has to be, you have to be at a happy place to feel joy. I personally think that you can see joy the most through hard
1: things. I was looking up some of the scriptures around joy, Proverbs 17, Mm -hmm. the idea that joy is good medicine. You can actually choose joy. You can choose to be joyful despite your circumstances, and you can actually influence people with joy.
2: People are searching for joy, sometimes in the wrong places, more of tangible things like this This thing will bring me joy. Doing this thing will bring me joy. This person will bring me joy. When really it's Christ alone and just everything he has for us is really the complete picture of what joy is.
1: As did like all of the songs that we sang, Um, and as much fun and as much energy and as much excitement, like I'm a little bit hoarse because I've already been through the second service of singing today, and I just, these are songs that you just have to sing loud, and, and, and we're actually singing theology. We're singing the things that we believe to be true about God. We're singing the things that we need to be true about God, that we can come to him, that we can inquire of him, that we can beg of him, that he is still the same God that he always is and was throughout all of scripture, that he's a healer and a provider and a savior. Like we need that to be true. We need to be a people who declare, sometimes just because we're reminding ourselves that I'm gonna claim hallelujah in the middle of um, disaster and defeat and in storms of life, that over the presence of our enemies, we're literally gonna claim that that. that we have a victory, and that ultimately God can be trusted. Like we've already sang the good things about God today that that we believe and that we need to be reminded of. I'm glad you guys are here today. Um, My name is Nick Allen, and I'm fortunate to get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. And some of you I'm meeting for the very first time, and so I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, I want to show you a couple pictures um, from my family. Um, So this is my oldest. She's 15 years old. Um, And I put her in this picture, um, much to her dismay, because she's holding a watermelon that we grew. Um, And by we, I mean her and my wife. That's huge. That is a massive watermelon. It weighs like over 25 pounds. Um, And so we grew that this year. And the thing that I need you to know is that it came from a tiny little seed packet from the Dollar Tree. Like literally, that started out as this tiny little seed in our flower garden grew to be not one, but we have like six of these things out there in two different varieties, this massive watermelon. Now the first one I'll confess to you that we brought inside, we cut it immediately because we're so excited. It was white. Like, white and kind of pasty. It was gross. Like, um, I don't even know why I said pasty. It was. It was gross. Um, The next one, we sat it on the counter for about three days, and then we cut it open, and it was juicy and red and delicious. I put salt on mine. I don't know if you do that, but it's real good. Um, Just to sprinkle a little bit of salt, it brings out the flavor. And my wife and my daughter, they're so excited because they grew that. Like, we're thrilled. We're in the middle of a, a, a series called Fresh Fruit. That's going to go over the next nine weeks, and it's all about the fruit of the spirit. Like Paul writes to this church in Galatia, like I want you guys to know what the fruits of the spirit are. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I did that without looking at the banners above my head, um, and you're going to be able to do that too. We talked about love last week. If you missed it or didn't know about us at the time, I encourage you to go back and listen. Pastor Jeff Simmons, our lead pastor from the Franklin campus, um, delivered a message for all of the Rolling Hills campuses, and we we're excited to get to hear him talk about love. And this week. Is all about joy. So I want to read you a passage of scripture as we start. It's from the book of Matthew. We talked about this very story some this summer. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable. It's a story, it's an illustration that was common to people. Like, they would have understood the tools that he was using, but it was a metaphor about something related to the kingdom of God. And this is what he explains. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it, and while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, here it is, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Like, if it's not in the ground, the birds are just going to come and eat it. There you go. Okay. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. So it's got a little bit of soil, but not much soil. So it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed, verse 7, fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. That sounds disastrous, like so painful. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And that's what we want to be a people who do. Like, we want the fruit in our lives to to multiply, the good things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness. We want them to be multiplied in our lives to where it's like 160, 30, like all this amazing fold, this incredible crop that comes out of our lives. And the thing that we have to look at with joy This morning is to start out with the definition of it. So, Mike Minter is a retired pastor from the DC area. He pastored for over 40 years, the same church. He retired and moved to Franklin and couldn't sit still, so he joined the teaching team at Rolling Kills. You guys have met him because he's come and filled in a time or two at the Nashville campus, and don't worry, we will bring him back because he's awesome. And he's teaching us a lot. All of us younger ish communicators are learning a ton from him and his experience. He tells us a couple of weeks ago at our teaching team meeting that he has this definition of joy that he's used and that served him well for all 40 plus years of ministry. It's this inner spiritual confidence. Like We need that. Like you're looking at me and you're like that guy doesn't need any more confidence than he already has. Trust me I do. Like there's moments when I'm just anxious and afraid. Like inner spiritual, that's the key word confidence. That God's grace is sufficient. Like, it's sufficient to see me through my earthly pilgrimage. Everything that I face in life, I get to go back and say that God is enough. In in Greek, it's from the word kara. And and it literally means to be glad. It's gladness. And, And we can rejoice exceedingly. Like, we can be overflowing and excited because of the joy that's in our life. We can be well. We can thrive. Some of you feel like you're just surviving. Like just barely getting by, just, just barely holding it t- together. And that's a common feeling in all of life, especially with the way that things have been going. But but true joy, the kind of joy that we're talking about today, it's a confidence that we don't know where it comes from. Here it is. It comes from the fact that God's grace is sufficient. Paul wrote to a church called Corinth, he writes to them in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, like, like that God spoke to him and said this: My grace is sufficient for you like it's enough it's it's, in fact it's all you need for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast like paul says because of that i'm gonna boast i'll actually brag i will throw shade on others because of what god has done in me i will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i delight he's like i delight like i'll be excited about weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. And he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll tell you, our middle school and high school ministry this morning, they're going through a, a bunch of questions over the next few months, like, can we ask that about the Bible? And the one for today is like, doesn't the Bible contradict itself? Not where you think it does, but in this instance, yes. Because it's a contradiction to us. Like, we don't understand how in the world a posture and a position of weakness could actually make us stronger as people. Like, why in the world we would be folks who have joy and inner spiritual confidence in the face of whatever adversity we have in life? And that's because of this, true joy. True joy, like all of the other fruits that we're going to talk about for the next, like, seven weeks of this nine-week series. Like, true joy, like all of the other fruits, is not something that we achieve. It's something that the Spirit develops. Oh, deep breath and long sigh. It's not up to us. Like The pressure's off. You don't have to figure out how to be full of joy in life all on your own. That is reserved. Jesus takes the pressure off and says, don't worry guys, the Holy Spirit will do that for you. In fact, every single one of these things, like we're Christians, we're trying to figure out how can I be more loving? How can I be more joyful? How can I be at peace when the world is in utter chaos? How can I be patient when, y'all, that's straight up hard. Like, how can I be somebody who's always kind and always good? Like, what in the world? Like, how can any of these things be true in my life? I'm just gonna have to work overtime to make it happen. No matter how hard we work at all of these things, we will always fall short, because it's ultimately the role of the Holy Spirit, and the part of the Holy Spirit in your life will now be played by the Holy Spirit to do these things in us like it's God's job that tiny little seed that I didn't think would do anything this summer when they planted it in the middle of our flower garden I go on a trip and I come back and there's like vines growing all over the ground and I see these giant watermelons starting to to grow and to bud and thanks to google we learned that you're supposed to let them get to be around 25 pounds before you pick them up and so we did and I I think to myself okay my wife and my daughter they're going to take some credit for this they they watered it they like put it in the ground they thought the soil was good we put some nutrients there we did it in a in a spot where it was going to get plenty of sunlight like like so they definitely did some things they played a part but at the end of the day they did not invent photosynthesis like they didn't they didn't work whatever magical miracle was taking place under that ground that has literally taken place since the dawn of creation that that God created and authored to make some tiny little seed grow into a 25-pound baby fruit that's full of a whole bunch of other seeds that tastes good to us. Yes, they watered it. Yes, they planted it. But they didn't make that happen. God did. And so the soil of our lives, like the good things that are planted in us, the good things that are watered in us, Paul wrote to that same church in Corinth. He said, hey, I planted some seeds. Apollos came and watered some seeds, but God is the one who gave growth. And I don't need anybody to come up to me afterwards. Please don't. Some of y'all are smart. Please don't come up to me afterwards and start telling me all of the scientific reasons why Watermelon, like, I really don't want to know. Like, I'm just happy to know that there's a miracle underneath my ground right now and that we're going to eat the watermelons after. Like, it's awesome. And I'm happy just knowing that, like, some of y'all know how God did it. That's okay. But I'm just happy knowing that He did. That there's a watermelon because God made, like, the miracle of that seed growing into that fruit. Of the giant trees that are out there in the world, like the redwoods in California, literally starting from a, from a tiny little seed that was probably put there by a bumblebee or a squirrel. Like God did all of that. And we just get to sit back and say, wow, that's what these fruits are. And when we see them in our lives, when we see the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and goodness and faith, when we see that over and abundant in your life, when we see this kind of kara, exceeding joy, come up in you, what we get to know is that the Holy Spirit did it. There's a passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus is literally saying, like, if you're gonna do anything, like, apart from him, you can't do nothing. You have to abide. You have to remain in him, and he has to remain in you, and when you do, you will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He's the one who does it, and he does it with the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is described in John chapter 16 as this. When he, the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you in the truth. The Holy Spirit comes and tells us the truth, tells us how to understand God's word, tells us like the, the convicting truth about our sins so that we can repent of it and turn to God and desire his work to happen in our life. The Spirit does that work in us. Hallelujah. We don't have to be that response. Like he can do it. We just have to surrender to it. I just get to submit and say, okay, God, have your will your way, and the problem with that is that we want him to have his will, but we want him to do it our way. Like, God, I want you to have your will in my life, but I want you to make it easy, and I want you to make it convenient, and I also want you to make it fast, and I also want you to make it, like, we have this desire that God works out his will, but we want him to do it our way. That's not it. We surrender to the idea of God working his will in our life, his way in our life, it means that our definition of joy has to change. You see, joy is based on things that are eternal, based on something that's eternal. It's beyond us. It's beyond anything around us. It's beyond anything in this life that can touch us. That's what joy is. Happiness, however, is temporary. It's based on what's here, what's now. It's based on our circumstances and our our status. Joy and happiness, they are not the same thing. They, They differ from one another. And the thing that we recognize when we understand what joy is, is that we also accept the truth that there's an enemy out there. Who who wants to rob us of pure joy? Like an enemy that wants to take joy from us. John chapter ten verse ten, the gospel author writes, "Like the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy." Jesus says, "I have come to." That they may have life and have it to the full. Some of your Bible translations say have it more abundantly, exceedingly. Like the whole goal is that Christ would give life, but we have an enemy out there who wants to steal from us and kill us and destroy us. And the middle school boy inside me jumps right past steal and into the kill and destroy because, you know, I'm all about, but no, that stealing part is first. I have chaperoned and led many of a kids camp at Rolling Hills through my years here. Like lots of elementary school kids going away to camp and getting there. And I tell you, have never been to a camp with a bunch of kids. You never have either, I promise you. If you ever do this, you're going to experience it. A hundred percent of the time, kids will go to camp and lose things. A hundred percent. Like it's guaranteed. Like they're going to come, Pastor Nick, my towel is missing. And 100% of the time that kids lose things, they will lead into the conversation like this. Pastor Nick, someone stole my towel. Like 100% of the time, the, 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 the immediate thought behind the missing towel is that someone, there is a robber among us. Somebody has burgled my room and they have taken my, like of all the other towels that were in there, they want it, it's gone. Somebody stole it. 100% of the time that a kid came to me and said, Pastor Nick, someone stole my towel, they actually just lost it. Like 100% of the time. So I don't know, people have said this like, oh, I've just lost my joy. I don't care if you lead with, I lost my joy, or the enemy stole my joy. The, the problem is that we as believers experience the, the waning and the ebb and the flow of, of true joy in our life, and that's problematic. The reason why we experience that loss is because we don't know what real joy is and what real joy isn't. Real joy is only found in salvation. It's only found in the salvation of our souls and and the writing of the wrongs in our life to steer us towards an eternity with with our maker first Peter chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says this though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy so this Peter that walked around with Jesus for a couple different years he was called as a fisherman to come and follow him he did that for three years he watched Jesus die he experienced him when he rose he watched him ascend back to heaven he heard the call in his life to go and be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so 30 years later, that's what he had given his life to. And now he's writing letters to a dispersed church that is literally scattered because of Roman persecution all over Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And he writes to them an encouragement. And these are people that didn't walk with Jesus while he was earthly and on this planet. These are people that did not stand at the crucifixion and watch him die. These are people that did not necessarily get to be among the 500 plus people that saw him when he was resurrected to life before he ascended back. These are new believers who have popped up over the last 30 years of Peter's ministry. And he says, hey, though you guys didn't see him when he was here, you love him. And though you don't get to see him right now, you believe, he could literally be writing these words to us because I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. Like, though you, don't, you weren't there to see him, Nick Allen, you, you love him. And though you don't see him standing in front of you right now, you believe in him. And because of that and only that, you are filled with an inexpressible, that can't even be described, and glorious joy. And we have no idea the volume of persecution that these young believers in Jesus Christ were facing, and yet they approached it with joy. Real joy is found in our salvation. And so one of the questions that we have to ask, I'm not really confidently to ask, and I don't want to make direct eye contact with anybody when I say it because I don't want anybody to feel like called out or singled out in this moment. There are people in this room, and the reason they don't have joy is because they don't have Jesus. And you're like, well, I go to church, and I like— I participate in all the things they do there. I stand up and I sing the songs. I even give some gifts. I've been doing it for a long time, maybe even my whole life. So what's wrong with me? And the truth is, is that the transaction of Christ's blood fueled sacrifice has never truly been applied to your life and what you've been doing is try to go through those motions over and over and over again on your own somehow trying to prove your worth to God so that you can be called his child and you're looking around going why is everybody else so joy-filled and you go out there in the world and you face all kinds of problems and issues and there's no joy to confront those things because you've not truly experienced salvation and I just want to tell you today that you can stop the striving and the effort and and just accept that you're a dirty rotten sinner in desperate need of forgiveness and that the great God of this universe in his infinite amount of love didn't pick you because you were good or right or lovely he picked you because he is and he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for your life. I want today to be a day where salvation springs up because where salvation is, there is joy. And it's abundant, like overflowing with life and, and We want that to be the thing that you experience. So your starting point today is not, oh, how can I have more joy in my life? And what are the three steps to being a more joy-filled person? It's literally just surrendering to the salvific work of Jesus in the world where he died in your place. Nothing at all from you. And so tell him. Just be bold enough to say, okay, I this thing that I've learned about, this thing that I've even ascribed to, this understanding that I've had, I know that it's not true about me, God, so please, I humble myself, I recognize my sin, I ask for your forgiveness, and I trust that there is no other way except your son, Jesus, and when that's applied to your life, and there's a freedom that comes from it, there will be joy, like like real joy only comes from salvation, and it's also, when it's real, it's not limited by our problems. No, it just enhances. Literally, like James, the the literal brother of Jesus who came to faith in Christ after the fact, he literally says this in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, consider it pure joy. Like the best kind of kara there is, like consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He's basically writing the words of Paul, I delight in insults and hardships and weaknesses and persecutions and in difficulties, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Like, consider it joy when you face those kind of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith develops and produces perseverance. Like, joy is not the absence of problems. That's the prosperity gospel, the one that says, oh, if you just trust Jesus and you go to church, all your problems will absolutely vanish and disappear. And if your problems don't vanish and disappear, then you just didn't trust or give quite enough. There's no prosperity in this. Like, God literally gave himself for us and doesn't promise to eliminate problems from us. No, they just enhance the gift of faith that he's given us. Joy is not the absence of our problems. It's the presence of God in our lives. That's where our joy comes from, but there are thieves. The enemy's out to take it, Um, like common thieves in the idea of us being a a joy-filled people. How about worry? These aren't all the things that are going to rob you of joy in your life, but here's a couple. Worry, it's the misunderstanding of God's sovereign power in your life. It's somehow believing that there are problems and issues and difficulties that are, that, are, that are bigger than him. But y'all, there's a lot to worry about. Y'all are like, Pastor Nick, there's a lot to worry about. Have you seen headlines? Have you been on the Twitter? Like, have you seen kids today? Like, they're just wrecked. Like, where is the world headed? And people worry because they want to know where the world is headed. And it's just doomed, right? And here's where the world's headed nowhere outside the divine permissive will and perfect salvific plan of our heavenly father. How can you say that? How can you assume that God authored or allowed any of these awful things that I'm so worried about in life to assume that he didn't is to make him smaller than he is? And that's what the enemy wants. He wants God to seem smaller so that your problems seem bigger. And the method that he uses in our lives to do that is lies. Scripture tells that he's the the father of lies. And if he can get you to believe lies instead of truth, you will somehow look around the world and say, I'm missing some joy that somebody else out there has. And it's because God is not good enough. And then all of a sudden you're worried and and you're filled with it and you're, you're afraid. Andy Stanley says that fear is profitable. Like the headlines have a goal to get us to be afraid. Like the tweets have a goal to get us to be afraid so that we will diminish the power of God in our lives. And worry is just misunderstanding that he is bigger than anything that we can face. I was talking to a precious lady in our congregation just this week. I'm not going to tell you her story because I believe fully that one day she'll stand here and do that, and we will be blown away by what God has done in our life. But she cited a Bethmore Bible study on the book of Esther, and she said that one of the things that Bethmore told you to do in the Bible study is that you had to, to write down, like literally write it down. Don't just think it, but write it down so that you can read it. Your absolute worst nightmare, like your worst nightmare nightmare, the worst thing that could actually happen to you in this life. Some of you are living your worst nightmare. Some of you have already walked through your worst nightmare, but some of you just have that looming, this is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen. And as a part of that, you literally have to write down if or when that nightmare happens, God is still faithful. And then you have to write down and read it out loud. If and when that nightmare happens, God will be with me and he will hold me and he will help me. If that nightmare, when that nightmare happens, God is going to perform a a mighty work in my life. Nick, this is supposed to be a sermon about joy and you're up here talking about nightmares. I I hate nightmares. I have to watch HGTV or the Food Network even even when I just think about Stranger Things because I don't want to have bad dreams at night. Like... (laughs) I'm talking about nightmares, but I know that there are people who are living them. Like, the worst thing that people can imagine sometimes does come true, and when it does, we have to be a people. Like, it should be our joy to say your will, your way. Like, it should be our joy to say that, that God is still in control, that God remains faithful, that God is with me, that God holds me, that he helps me, and that somehow in the middle of the thing that I labeled as my worst possible nightmare in life, he is doing a work, joy is not the absence of nightmares. It's the ability to wake up and still know and trust that God is in charge and that there is hope in spite of them. There's another thief. It's comparison and it's when you and I substitute the true sources of joy in our life for inadequate faulty ones. Habakkuk chapter 3, Old Testament verses 17 and 18 says this Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. There's a lot of people out there in the world with more figs than me, and they have better crops. And they have bigger pens and bigger stalls. There's a lot of people out there in the world who have bigger pens and stalls than you and more figs than you. And in the comparison game, we are invited to look at all those people and think that they are somehow happier than we are and somehow more joy-filled than we are. And if we could just have that size pen or that size stall or that many figs, we would somehow be full of more joy and able to serve. Like, God, if you would just give me all those things, I would be able to serve you better. Y'all ever negotiated with him like that? I have. Lord, if you would just bless me, I would be a blessing to others. Sandra Stanley wrote a book called The Comparison Trap, and I believe it. That whenever we make those kind of comparisons, there is a trap that we get into. Comparison leads to depression, but not only do I believe that comparison is a trap that you and I get caught in, I also believe that it is a threat. Like, that is an all-out affront to God's sovereign work in our life, and it's a slap in the face of our Creator, who is what? Sufficient for us, and enough for us, and more than we need over and above anything else that's in the Word. John Piper wrote to us as pastors and said, hey, tell your people copper will do. And you have to follow the illustration. I understand right now that copper is really high, and that it's super expensive, and that it doesn't necessarily play out in the world, but you trust me on this. Like, tell your people copper will do. I want the gold. No, copper's fine. Because when everybody out there in the world is after the finer things in life, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are called to redefine what is finer and to tell the world that there is something better. Y'all, rich people are rarely content. There's always a desire to to have more and to to be more. I want to take a look at both of those thieves in our lives today, the idea of, of worry, the idea of misunderstanding God's sovereign power, the idea of comparison, somehow substituting the, the, the true sources of joy in our life for things that are uh, nowhere near valuable uh, enough. We, we go back to the book of Matthew chapter 13, and he gives us the parable of those soils. I'll tell you what worry is. Did it work? Oh, look at that. Like, I made that happen. Actually I didn't make that happen, and I have no idea how in the world this iPad and that Apple TV made this happen, but some please don't come and explain that to me later. Some of y'all are techie I don't really need to know I'm just happy understanding that this is a miracle and that through modern technology, you can see me draw on this paper on hits this right here. Worry is the rocks. it's the problems that we face in life that's what Jesus went on to explain in In Matthew chapter 13, he says in verse 20, the seed that fell on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with full joy, is so excited because they received the gift of the good news about, about Jesus Christ. But since they have no roots, like they have no deep roots, they only last a short time when trouble or persecution comes instead of being this thing that we're so glad about that we're rejoicing over yeah I delight in insults and weaknesses and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties for when I'm weak I am strong instead of that these rocks make us stumble and ultimately though we've heard the word and though we understand it we are quick to fall away worry it's the rocks it's the real problems that we face and it's also the ones that we just anticipate facing it's, it's the rocky ground, and we fall away. Comparison? I like to check to see if it worked again. <laughs> it's the thorns. It's the thorns. It, it's the temptations. It's the distractions. Jesus literally said this, the seed that fell among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth comparison choke the word, making it unfruitful. The rocks make us fall away. The, the thorns, they make us useless. The worries and the comparison that we enter into in this life are, are things that ultimately render us useless before God. You know, there's no New Testament context, no special instruction for how believers in Jesus are supposed to behave when they have empirical power or when they have modern day wealth. Like there's no special provision for how you and I in a more than developed postmodern world are supposed to live and act because we have all of this wealth and because we have all of this power. There's no like, hey you're supposed to act like Jesus when you're poor and when you're persecuted and when you're struggling and if somebody threatens your power you can actually put a pin in that, go act any way that you want to, mimic the patterns of this world and then once you retain your power come back to acting like Jesus again. There's no special Provision for how we're supposed to be joy filled Christians when we're living in the land of plenty. It's literally the same thing. The way that we're supposed to be loving, the way that we're supposed to be joyful, the way that we're supposed to be at peace, the way that we're supposed to exhibit patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, the way that we're supposed to be a gentle people and full of self-control doesn't change whether or not we're a people who are living in a land of want or the land of plenty. It's literally always the same. There's no option for us when it comes to applying the idea of joy any of these fruits, but we also wholeheartedly recognize that they're available to us, but just not on our own. It's only with abiding. It's only being in step with the Spirit. And when we do that, the real joy that we have is contagious. And I know that we're still on the heels of a global pandemic and that another one is looming, so I hesitate to use the word contagious, but I do think it applies. I want to kind of redeem it for a minute and say that contagious can be a good thing. It's when the joy spreads, when we get to reintroduce it to the world in a positive way, when you and I, what does all this mean? It's this, when you and I have fresh joy, And when we understand the source, the only source of our joy, we can and should be conduits of it out there in the, well, I thought joy only comes from the Holy Spirit. Yes, and then joy can be transmitted to others by the Holy Spirit working in us. Paul wrote a letter to this guy named Philemon, and in it he says this, your love, like the way that you lived out the Holy Spirit fruit of love, Philemon, has given me what? Great joy and encouragement. Because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Proverbs 11 says that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Y'all, there's nothing fresher in the summertime than a big old piece of watermelon. And the youth pastor in me knows that there's a pattern of the way that we live that transmits joy to others. It's this. It's an acronym. I taught it to teenagers for years. You've heard it before. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, You last. And when we get that out of order in any way, true joy is diminished. Our joy comes from Christ and Christ alone. And we were given that gift of salvation to go out and lovingly serve others. It is a joy to put ourselves last so that others can truly see Jesus. Not if all is, like if all is well in my life, then I'll go out there and put Jesus first, others seconds, myself last. But if, but if all's not well, I need to fix some, no. Not if everything is well in your life, but especially when it isn't, because that's what people need to see. Charles Spurgeon is probably the the greatest preacher of all time, um, lived in the 1800s, and literally one of the greatest orators. He was British, and I think all great orators probably are, which means I'm failing painfully short. Um, But yesterday, on March 4th, y'all feel like March 4th was yesterday, the world is flying by. He wrote this in a morning and evening devotion. It says that if none of God's saints were poor and tried, y'all are like, amen, that's me. We should not know half so well the consolations of divine grace. That when we find the wanderer who has nowhere to lay his head, who yet can say, still I will trust in the Lord. When we see the pauper starving on bread and water, who still glories in Jesus. When we see the bereaved widow overwhelmed in affliction and yet having faith in Christ Oh, what honor it reflects on the gospel. God's grace is illustrated and magnified in the poverty and in the trials of believers. We get to be transmitters of the joy of the Lord when we face great adversity because the rest of the world is going to be like, man, you're really stuck in it. How are you so joyful? Like, it just feels odd. And then they want to know an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. Like the world ought to to think it odd of us to be a people who are full of such hope and such joy when we face the most difficult of circumstances because ultimately God is good. I'll show you a picture from an event we did yesterday with the middle school and high school kids here on our campus. Um, That is a whole bunch of middle schoolers holding a giant bucket of water above their persons with their feet. This is the high schoolers doing the same thing Um, I will tell you that the middle schoolers won and we gave them the task of one at a time being able to remove their shoes So one at a time a kid that was in that circle holding up their feet with this bucket of water Looming over the top of them had to take a foot remove a shoe put the foot back Take down a foot remove a shoe put their foot back And they had to go around the circle where everybody had all of their shoes off and the middle schoolers Did it faster and better than the high schoolers and the whole time they're holding up this shaky bin of water I know that we are a people who feel like we're holding things up on our own and that the world that we're living in is shaky and we're about to just be covered in the worst mess of it all. Like we feel like we've just got to hold it up on our own and it's it's heavy and it's shaky and it's difficult and it's challenging and we feel so stuck and so afraid of it just all coming, crashing down the truth about joy is the leader who walks over and takes the bend off of your feet to to where you don't have to hold it up anymore. Regardless of how heavy the world gets and regardless of how big and full of volume that your problems are, we can be people of pure joy because in the middle of our worst nightmare, God promises to be there in the middle of our greatest disaster when it all feels like it's going to come crashing down he is still working he has still got us he will make a way and there is no greater joy than knowing that and looking forward to that all that we have in Christ that's where our joy comes from And that's what we get to take out there in the world. So, Lord, let the problems come. Nick, I can't believe you said that. Y'all gonna be mad at me when you have a problem. This week, when you have a problem, you're gonna blame me. Be like, my pastor said this was gonna happen. It's all his fault. He jinxed me. But like, listen, when problems come this week, you have an opportunity to be a people who are remarkably joy-filled. And the world that looks at you like you're crazy, you get to say, it's it's because I know there's hope and because I have Christ. Were it not for him, I would be caving under the waterfall of problems in my life, but I have hope, and I have joy because of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day, for the chance to be in this place, to gather, to, to, to open up your word, and to know and trust that it's real, and that it's right. And to walk out of here today as a people full of joy and full of hope because you, God, endured the cross for us, in place of us, to provide for us that which we do not deserve and yet that which we get to carry to the world. Thank you for giving us Jesus as our joy. Help us to live that out and be dispensers of it in all we do. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen.
0: That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.